If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Today, I am so honored to be joined by Chris Carr, who is a New York Times bestselling author and a 20-year cancer thriver. 20 years ago, she was diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. She has been called a force of nature by O Magazine and was named a new role model by the New York Times. Chris is also a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, recognizing the most influential thought leaders today. Her work has been in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Glamour, Good Morning America, and so many others. Chris is a wellness coach. She is an author of multiple books, most recently and actually launching today is her newest book, which we're talking about called I Am Not a Morning Person, spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And in this book, she walks through her journey of finally recognizing the grief that she had so long ignored and learning how to mourn. Her dad was diagnosed with cancer, and that really triggered her to finally take a look at the things that she'd been ignoring in the last 20 years and even prior to that. We talk about what does grief mean? How can we not compare our grief to others? Obviously, those of you that are listening are going through a heartbreak, and there may be some of you that are saying, well, I didn't lose anyone to a death and trying to minimize your grief. So she talks about how you can really honor your emotions. We talk about how to process that grief, how to not run away from it. She talks about in what ways society gets the idea of grief wrong and how we're so averse to looking at those messy feelings. So I loved talking to Chris. I feel like I could have talked to her for a lot longer, but I'm so excited to be able to share with you guys. And I hope everyone goes out and gets her book. I am not a morning person out today, wherever books are sold. It is such an honor to introduce Chris Carr to the Heal Your Heartbreak audience. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kendra. So I would love to hear your journey. I know there's so many things that are part of your story, but I would love to hear your journey and what led you to write your book. 
Yeah. This was not the book that I thought I was going to write. I was really thinking I would write something that's more of like a, you go girl, you've got this, let's go type yeah. of book. You know, it's my seventh book and it had been a while since I had written a book. And so that's where my heart was, or actually it's not where my heart was, but that's where my head was. And then the pandemic, then I was coming up against, you know, my 20 year cancerversary, 20 years of being a cancer patient living with cancer. And then my dad was diagnosed. And so it was really like, as much as I wanted to write this inspirational, upbeat book, I kind of felt like I needed a nap. And <laughs> it was also my world was falling apart and the world was falling apart around me as well. Right. We have all just been through a really big experience as a collective society. And so I decided I was going to dive headfirst into the topic of grief and loss and the big messy emotions that come with that feeling and also what it can look like on the other side. And so I spent three years doing that. And I think I grew a lot in the process and hopefully some of my stories and experiences can help somebody else who's going through really heartbreak. Yeah. I feel like that I can only imagine how many people are going to be touched by this book just because I don't think there's necessarily a lot of people who, you know, go through this and decide to really dive headfirst into it and then, you know, be able to recount their experience like that. And one of the things I was thinking is you've obviously in the 20 years of being a cancer patient, you've experienced your own form of grief with, you know, grieving different parts of your life, different parts of your identity, I'm sure. I'm curious, how did your definition or concept of grief change while writing this book? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things that I learned as a result of this experience was something that my therapist said to me, which was when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. So grief doesn't just roll alone, mm -hmm. right? And grief is an emotion that very few of us want to experience, want to feel, want to admit that we have. And we live in a grief phobic, messy, emotions averse society right? So a lot of times we don't feel as though anybody else can hold the container that we need for us, right? And so I will say, for me, I realized that the reason why I call it, I'm not a morning person, you know, morning with a you. Such a great title, <laughs> by the way. Thank you. Is because I avoided grief, even the grief of my own diagnosis, right? 20 years ago, I hit the ground running. I changed my diet, my lifestyle, wrote a bunch of books about it, you know, figured out what I could do to support my well-being. Let's go. Because I was in trauma, I was in grief, and I was running from it. And I have helped a lot of people along the way, no shade there, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until the 20-year cancerversary was approaching and my dad was diagnosed that I realized that there was a lot of stuff that was still very unresolved in me and that these other emotions that I was experiencing like rage, envy, you know, hopelessness, they roll with grief, right? And also old griefs were coming up. I mean, shit, I thought that I was past 
And I have a theory about that, which is basically because so few of us want to experience grief, we push it down, you know, we shove it, we shove our issues in our tissues and we, we keep on trucking. But when we're willing to start actually experiencing it and healing it, it's like all the old boo-boos come up and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys, she's ready for us. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is our time. <laughs> so it was a lot and I needed a lot of support. Yeah. Well, I feel like that whole idea of the five stages of grief, like even that in our society, it's like we want there to be a step-by-step guide. We want the feelings to be in boxes. We want mm. almost, and I I hear this all the time with people who are going through breakups, they get sad and they're like, checked sad off the list. And then they get mad and they're like, checked mad off the list. And then they're like, wait, I'm sad again. Why am I sad again? I already did that, you know? And so it's like, we're, we just want things to be in order. We want a roadmap. We want things in boxes and we're not, we're very averse to this idea of emotional roller coasters and just all these things coming up. That's such a beautiful and very smart thing to share, Kendra, because, you know, the stages of grief are not linear. They were never supposed to be linear. They should have probably been called something else because stages make us feel like there is a beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. I read something by Carl Jung that, and he says that we spend our life orbiting around the same issues. And with each orbit, we reach a new layer of meaning. Mm, and yeah. for me, that orbiting is the mechanism of our healing. And so there are no boxes and we all have to live outside of whatever boxes society puts us in because it's not a healthy place for us. And so when you go through this and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm sad again, what's wrong with me? Yeah, You can say to yourself, oh, I'm orbiting. Mm. This is natural. This is normal. I'm going to reach a new layer of meaning, a new layer of growth, a new layer of understanding myself. This is normal. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, I'm sure like me, one of your more common questions is how long is this going to take? How long am I going to feel this way? And I get it. It's like, even as simple as my morning workout, like I want to know how long it's going to be. I want to know where I'm headed so I can do this thing in my head of being like, okay, I can make it another 30 seconds or I can survive this for a few months, but there's <laughs> really, I mean, what do you tell people when they say, when they ask you, like, what's the timeline on this? I mean, bad news. There is no timeline. Yeah. Yeah. There's no timeline. You know, I remember when I went through a really bad breakup and this was my, we were engaged, we were re getting ready to walk down the aisle. And then I, I found out that he had cheated and the pictures came in the mail. Like it was a blow up and I was devastated. I was so gutted. And a few years later I was diagnosed. So talk about old griefs. I was still processing that too, Kendra. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because when my diagnosis came, I was like, hit the ground running. We got to survive. Put that shit in the rear view for now. And I remember somebody saying, oh, the amount of time it takes is like half the amount of time you were with the person. Yes. So I was with the person for four years and I thought, okay, it's going to take two years. No, I'm a happily married woman right now. And I still have moments where I grieve that loss, even though I'm a happily married woman. Yeah. Right. And so I think 
we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole. Mm, right. Wow. That's powerful. And that was a big learning for me. And so the thing is, is that even though that hole or that, you know, break in our heart might always be there. And, and for some people, it heals, right? It depends. Everybody is different, right? But for me specifically, you know, some of the losses that have I, I've experienced, there's always going to be a hole there. But I saw, I don't know her name, but it was a psychologist I follow on Instagram and I just started following her and she was painting and she painted like the picture of a dark hole, but around that picture, she was painting different circles, different colors. And it was like, you can create different experiences, different levels of joy, all these new beautiful memories and realities in your life around that. Yeah. You know, there's space for all of it. Yeah. Well, it's like so often people will ask me about this idea of like, will my ex forget me? They think mm -hmm. that in order to be quote unquote over it, they have to forget. And I say the example, I'm like, I can tell you the first and last name of my like seventh grade boyfriend that I dated for two weeks. Like I know his first name, his last name. I could tell you his birthday. You don't forget people like that. And I think, you know, I'm sure that doesn't necessarily come up as much when it's talking about like losing someone to a death. Obviously, you don't you never forget that person. But it is this interesting thing that we just want to clear it away. Yes. And I think we have to do this work, right? Because loss is loss. And there are losses like losing a job. There's a miscarriage. There's a divorce. There's a breakup. There's the loss of your identity, loss of financial security, loss of the way you think the world is supposed to be because that's the way it was. And then next day it's all shut down, right? And so for us as humans, hurting humans, I think what's helpful is just to be willing to explore some new tools and resources to help navigate these storms because mm -hmm. they're going to come. We can't expect life to always be sunny, but when they come and we have some of these basic tools, we're going to be able to survive a little bit more, a little easier. You know, maybe it doesn't take us down as far, or if it does, because it needed to, for whatever reason, we're going to be able to stand back up. Yeah. And what do you tell people when, you know, thinking about this idea of like comparative grief where, mm -hmm. okay, I just went through a breakup, but I have a friend who just lost a parent. I don't feel like I should be able to grieve when someone's going through something so much worse. What do you tell people with that and how they're able to still honor their emotions? I think that's very disrespectful to yourself when you do things of this nature, right? Yeah. Because your heart is aching, your heart is hurting, and it's not about anybody else's grief in that moment or anybody else's worst, worst life or experience. It's about what you're going through, right? The thing about grief is there is no moving on. There's moving through, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be willing to go through that experience. There's a lot of hierarchy. Even when I was researching about grief, because again, I felt like I was not a morning person. This is a this is an experience I do not want to touch with a 10-foot pole. In fact, I will do anything to avoid this. So I'm going to run and drink and do whatever I need to do to push these feelings away. And it wasn't until I realized that grief really is a master healer that I was willing to go there. And so 
going back to this whole idea of a hierarchy, there isn't one. I, I have a chapter in the book that's all about pet loss. Now, I don't have children, partly because I live with stage four cancer. Okay. My disease is stable. It's been stable for quite some time now, but it's, I still have active disease in my body. And so my oncologist was like, look, you're stable. I want you to picture yourself like you've got a rock bouncing on top of a mountain. If the rock starts to tumble because of something like hormones and pregnancy, mm-hmm. we may be able to catch it, maybe, hopefully, but we're never going to be able to put it back at the top of that mountain, which is where you're the safest. So I want you to think long and hard about whether or not you want to have children. Of course, that was a grief for us. Yeah. But we decided that, you know what? We can have a full life without kids. Mm-hmm. We have nieces and nephews. We have a hilarious goddaughter. We have friends with kids. And when they have tantrums, that's our exit music. Yeah. Right. And we get to go out to dinner and do yeah. other things. Right. And so we made that decision, but that doesn't mean from time to time we don't grieve it. But we became pet parents. And our dogs are like our children. And yet, in grief literature, there's very little space or acknowledgement of pet loss. If anything, it is diminished. And so, I wrote a whole chapter about it because it's about what the person meant to you. It's about what the fur baby, what the experience, what the thing meant to you. It doesn't matter what it, what anybody else thinks, what matters is your own heart. And so I think every time we catch ourselves in that place, all we can do is be aware, oh, here I am. I'm, I'm feeling guilty or I'm feeling insecure because I'm comparing my grief to somebody else's who has a much worse life. And then we say, stop. It's okay to feel this. You need to feel this. Right? What other people think about you is none of your freaking business. Mm-hmm. What matters is what you think about you and how you care for you. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, I, being the age that I'm at, I feel like I've had way more friends experience like a pet loss than anything mm-hmm. else. And it's, it's completely, I mean, it's devastating. And it could be, you know, and I've even had people go through breakups where they've lost their exes pet because they Mm. broke up and moved on. And it's there's just so many layers that I think should be, like you said, should be honored and felt, not judged. I just think there's so much of so much judgment of emotions when it comes to loss and how you should be feeling or what pace you should be moving on at and how you should appear while you're going through it and you shouldn't let it overtake you, but you also shouldn't suppress it. It's like, it's, it feels like we're walking on this tightrope of things that we're supposed to be doing when it comes to going through loss. It's very true. You know, I have a whole chapter in the book that's called awkward times, awkward people. Okay. And it's the weird stuff that people say and do because they don't know what to say and do because none of us have the tools, you know, surviving storms of this magnitude. Yeah. Or very few of us do, not none of us. And so the thing is, is that we also have to remember that we're also potentially going to step in the same poop. Totally. I have done this whole chapter talks about all the different things that can get thrown at you. And I have done most of those things myself. 
right? Because at the time I didn't know. And so, you know, everything from centering ourselves, oh, when when such and such and I broke up, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's like your pain matters, but right now in this moment, it's their pain we need to focus on, mm-hmm. you know, hijacking the conversation, or I, I call it also the teachable moment when you come in with platitudes, like, you know, everything happens for a reason and la, 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 la. Nobody wants to hear that shit. No. You know, their heart is breaking. What we actually want in those moments is what I call courageous acknowledgement. Going into the mud with your people, being willing to stay there, not change the subject because it's really uncomfortable, right? And to listen with our whole beings. How many of us, I know I do this, like somebody starts talking and I like immediately I'm thinking about what it is I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. When somebody's heart is broken, they don't want you to do that. They just want you to literally listen with your whole being. Your presence is the biggest gift you can give anybody, especially people going through heartbreak. And like, I am a wellness coach. I have got a million tips for a million different things. And guess what? I often give advice that is not asked for. It's something I have to rein in, like Miss Teachable Moment over here. I have to be like, shut it. Nobody is paying you a dime for this. Just like they don't want this information right now. What they want is you to just be present with them. And if you have some great idea, then say, hey, do you want to vent right now? Do you just want to be heard? Do you want to brainstorm? If you want to brainstorm, hey, I'm your girl. Yeah. Right. But like, I think that whole idea of courageous acknowledgement is just saying, I am going to address the elephant in the room because that is the thing that is the most healing thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that term. And it takes some of the pressure off, I know, because there have been times where a friend is going through something and I have to say something insightful and acknowledge. It's like there's we put so much pressure when in reality, like there's nothing I could say that's going to take anything away. You know, the best thing that I can do is be there for them and ask like, how can I support you? Let me just sit here and listen with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love if you could dive a little further into the idea of moving on versus moving through. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it goes back to the timeline question, which is we think that it's going to be done neat and tidy and put behind us. And I can tell you as somebody who's lived with stage four cancer for 20 years, not in remission, it's not done neat and tidy, right? I still have 24 tumors in my body. And so I can't move on. So does that mean I should stay in this perpetual state of like a holding period? Like I can't live my life unless somebody says, boom, you cross the finish line, you're in remission, you're cancer free, go off and live your life now. No, I am moving through life. I'm moving through life. I am loving my life. I am living my life. I am a complicated, flawed, imperfect human being. And that is my experience of moving through life. And so I will say that living with cancer was the first time that I really started to wrap my mind around that because for a long time I was putting off living because I didn't think it was valid unless I was in remission. Hmm. I was even putting off telling my story, sharing what I had learned, writing my first book because I thought nobody will want to hear this unless I have a happy ending, right? That's the hero's journey, right? But that's not realistic. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on people. Like we have to live these perfect lives. Otherwise they're not valid or they're not, we're not worthy. And so 
Life is an ever-evolving experience. There's the good days, there's the tough days, there's the wounds, there's the wisdom, there's all of it. And so the more we can just, I think, make space for it and be at peace with it and accept it, the less it is likely to hold us back from fully alive living, Mm -hmm. which is the whole reason we're here. Yeah, not waiting. I think there's a lot of emphasis on the finish line of, you know, I get asked a lot how do I know I'm over my ex? And it's like, there's nothing I can tell you that'll be like, okay, when you hit this marker, that's it. You're good. You can like move on with your life, Mm -hmm. but it's so much more subtle than that. And it's like, I think there should be more emphasis on like the small wins that we can experience and the little things that we can go through and experience instead of these big, you know, crossroads and finish lines and big things like that. I think that's such wise advice because honestly, it's the little wins, it's the small steps, it's the daily practice and the progress and the two steps forwards and one step back that I think really helps us in the move forward process, you know, the move through process rather. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you share that. I mean, one of the things that I know to be true about putting the focus on my pain, like the pain of another person leaving or something of this nature, is that it takes the focus off of me. And sometimes it's easier to put the focus on the other person. I wonder what the other person is doing right now, feeling right now. Is the other person missing me right now? I hope the other person is having a very bad time right now, right? All of the places that we can go But I think when we're hurting, we really do need to say, okay, how do I take care of myself? I have to put the focus back on me. Mm -hmm. And to your point, these little daily micro habits that I can put into place that will help me feel a little bit better, maybe even have a little bit more energy. I mean, we're talking basic stuff here, not like ready to go out and, you know, get back in the scene, maybe, but like, what are the little things that fill my well? And don't dismiss those things and say, that's not enough, right? Because you're just putting off your healing even more when you do that. If you are a listener of this podcast, you know I warn about how your phone can either be a great tool or a huge obstacle when it comes to getting over your breakup. Instead of spending time on your phone trying to figure out what your ex is up to, why not spend some time engaging in a super fun mystery game that will help take your mind off your breakup? June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I am such a big mystery and puzzle fan, so this game has been so fun for me to get into. When I'm looking for a little escape from reality during the day or a way to relax that doesn't involve social media, it's been so fun to use my brain in a new way by diving into June's captivating quest and engaging my sense of observation to find the hidden clues. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is so important to share your thoughts and feelings while going through a breakup, especially if it's something you're feeling any guilt or shame around. I know whenever I'm struggling with a certain thought or situation and I keep it to myself, it gets heavier and heavier and feels harder and harder to manage. I truly believe we are as sick as our secrets. Therapy has always been a safe space for me to have a judgment-free zone to get things off my chest. Whether it's something from my past, a current struggle, or something I'm anxious about in the future, I always feel lighter when I'm able to share something that feels 
scary. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. A question I get asked all the time is, is it normal for a breakup to feel more intense during my period? And the answer is yes. PMS is already so hard to deal with. And then you throw a breakup into that. And I know for me, PMS can make me feel anxious, exhausted, starving, and sad not a great combo. And that's why I love using and recommending Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth, which can make PMS easier to manage and has helped reduce those anxious feelings and low moods I experience around my period. And fun fact, a bottle is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens, which help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormones can make us feel so out of whack, and I agree with the most commonly used phrase in their 17,000 reviews, which is that it does make you feel like yourself again. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code HEARTBREAK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code HEARTBREAK for 15% off today. Yeah. Could you share some of those maybe examples for you, like what fills your well? A hundred percent, you know, for me, the creative process, 100% fills my well. So writing is a big thing. Writing is how I get to know myself. Writing is how I make sense of the world, whether that's journaling or working on a book. So that's a big one for me, but also just moving my body. You know, there's this great saying, movement in your body creates movement in your life, right? And sometimes I wrote this in the book, you can't change the problems of the mind with the mind. Yeah, not always, right? Especially with fear and anxiety, because we go into these thought loops. But what we can do is kind of change the channel, right? So that could be a 10 minute walk, right? Just getting in your body. It's like, you know, when a dog is in brain rot and they're licking incessantly or barking incessantly, one of the best things that you can do is like throw a tennis ball and change the state. Mm -hmm. And so for you, that could be. You know, a number of things for me, it might be that 10 minute walk. It might be, you know, zooming with a friend. It's just something to get me out of brain rot of like focusing and ruminating on whatever the pain du jour is. And it's individual for everybody. I think the breath always helps, you know, even just like when you find yourself in an anxious moment, making your exhale longer than your inhale, you know, doing box breathing where you're inhaling for four counts, holding for four counts, exhaling for four counts, holding for four counts, and repeating that three times. Doesn't have to be big things, but we have to do something to fill our well each and every day if we want to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said that whatever you do is enough. It doesn't need to be You don't need to journal for 30 minutes and meditate for 30 minutes and go see your therapist and go to a workout class and do all those things. I had actually just last night, I was having a really anxious moment and was in that. I love the brain rot. I was in that thought loop of, well, if this happens, then this will happen. And then this happened. And I just 
took some deep breaths and it was, I don't think I had realized the power of that in a long time and was thinking, man, we have that tool within us all the time of just being able to pay attention to the breath in and the breath out and how much that changed, how much that broke that loop for me and allowed me to see where I was actually, and not just be in my, my head. I love that. I love that we're talking about the simple stuff because that's another way we get in our way by making it so hard, like the big laundry list of self-care to-dos. And if you don't do all of them beautifully and for an hour each, you're somehow not healing, you know, it's like, that's a bunch of crap. I would say, especially with anxiety, you know, we talked earlier about when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars and all these big, messy emotions. And so fear and anxiety, those two siblings are big at the top of the list when we're going through loss or an impending loss, right? And so for me, specifically, anxiety is worry about something that may or may not happen in the future. And when we're able to just slow it down, like you were in your brain rot, your breath slowed it down, which inserts a gap in your thinking. And in that gap is another opportunity. It's an opportunity to choose peace. It's an opportunity to connect with yourself. But also if all of the bad shit can happen and bless our brains, like we are wired to ruminate. We are wired to run risk assessments to keep us safe. If this happens, I'll I'll respond that way. It's evolution. That's how we're built. But when we're able to insert that gap, we can say, but what if another story is possible? Because if I can tell myself this scary story and believe it, is it possible that I could also tell another story that's a little more supportive, healthy for my nervous system, (laughs) joyful, that could also be true. Yeah. But we can't do that when we don't stop the brain rot and insert that gap. And you said it so beautifully by just even starting with the breath and then spending some time with your mind and choosing another thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always say it's so interesting because we do, we tell ourselves the worst case scenario, especially when there's a lot of the times when there's a specific loss where you don't have the full picture, you don't have all the details. So you have these blank spaces. And so we tend to fill in the gap with the worst case scenario. But if a friend was talking to you and was saying, I'm worried about this, I'm nervous about this, you would come up with the best case scenario and you would genuinely mean it for your friend too. But we just, we were so opposite with ourselves and the the self-talk that we provide. You're 100% spot on. And one of the sayings that I love is something may be common knowledge, but it isn't common practice. So somebody out there listening could say, yeah, yeah, ladies, I get it. But, you know, easy for you to say, but this is applicable to all of us right? It's just a choice about whether or not you're going to listen to this and then apply it to your own life. Because all the possibilities in the universe are available to you too, Mm. right? And that's the thing that we forget when we're suffering. Yeah. And and it can be very isolating to feel that. And part of my story is I'm 10 years in recovery and in a 12-step program. And a big thing that they talk about in that program is I, or 
spot the similarities instead of the differences because mm -hmm. I can walk into, you know, I could walk into an AA meeting and automatically say, I'm not like them. I'm not like him. He's in his 50s and, you know, has been married for 20 years. I can't relate. And then automatically I'm just closing myself off to anything that I hear there. But if I can say, oh, well, they feel scared. They have anxiety. I have anxiety. Then I'm opening myself up to that. And I think that happens with a lot of different losses is maybe your best friend hasn't, you know, lost a fiance, but she's gone through, you know, she's gone through breakups or maybe she lost a pet. She knows what it's like to feel pain and sadness. And so I think it's so important not to isolate yourself in mm. that experience. I love that you shared that. Yeah, look, we have to go through our own healing. And a lot of that happens in our minds every single day. So caring for our mental health is so essential because it's me and me, baby. Right. right? But we can't just be there. We need our people, especially our true blues. You know, the people that are the closest to us, the ones who don't judge us, the ones who are our ride or dies, the ones to your point where like you say this to your best friend, they never say anything shitty like that back to you, right? Or you say this to yourself and you tell your best friend, you know, because it's very lonely in loss. And I think we can sometimes fold in on that loneliness. This must be about me. There's something wrong with me. Why didn't I do better? Right. Mm -hmm. I'll never find this. I'll always have that. I remember one of the things that I talk about in the book is, is what I call the rupture. So it's when the shit hits the fan, it's that moment, you know, when the breakup happens, the diagnosis, the job loss, whatever it is, it's the moment where the rug gets pulled out from under you. And oftentimes a big change happens. And more often than not, it's a change you sure as heck do not want in your life right? And in those moments, we can go into the, a place where we start to ask the question, why? Why me? Why did this happen? And sometimes why is a good question to ask, right? Because we can find some really valuable question in the why. But at some point when we're stuck in why for so long, we're just stuck in the past, mm -hmm. beating ourselves up, torturing ourselves for something we cannot change. And so for me, it was like, why was I diagnosed? What, why me? Why dad? And then I realized, and this is also through my own journey of, you know, being a patient was a better question to ask is actually what, what can I do now to support myself? Hmm. What can I do now to move through this? What can I do now to feel better? I don't have any appetite. Okay. So what could I make? Could I make a smoothie? It takes two seconds. It's filled with nutrients because I don't want to cook. Never want to be in the damn kitchen again. The kitchen was our thing. You know, what can I do inch by inch, day by day to feel a little better? And so sometimes what you can do is be in community. Don't over isolate yourself because you don't want to be a burden to somebody. You're hurting. This is time to reach out. Yeah. I love that difference between why and what, because I've seen so many people obviously specifically with breakups where the why really tears them apart and they you know we were talking earlier about waiting until they they're waiting to quote unquote move on until they fully understand 
the why and fully can wrap their head around why it happened. When in reality, when it comes to these kinds of big losses, you know, you'll never know why it was you that, you know, went through this. Obviously, you've had such an incredible journey of being able to to help so many people from that. But, you know, we don't know the why to so many of those questions. And I think it's another thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's another thing that distracts us from actually examining how the event has impacted us, mm. not instead of and looking at the actual pain that's causing it, trying to figure out the why. Oh, I love that. Ooh, Kendra, that's good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right about that. It's another distraction. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to ask you, and I actually got it in a DM yesterday, but someone messaged and said, how do you know the balance of processing your pain, but not letting it fully take you over? And I think that's, I know in your book, you talk about what it looks like to suppress your pain and what that can do. But there's also, I don't know, I feel like there's also the other side of the pendulum of just letting it melt you, basically. Sure. Without question. And this is where I really think that a support system is so important. Your friends, therapist, counselor, whatever, life coach, you know, we need mentors, we need coaches, we need people in our corner because we can get into brain rot and sometimes we can't even see it. But I want to take a step back because, well, let me just say life is still worth living. Mm -hmm. We only have a very limited time while we have the opportunity to even be alive. And you deserve that goodness. You deserve to have the best life possible and to live as fully as possible while you can, because life is a terminal condition, mm -hmm. right? We're all going to die, but how many of us are going to live? I've been saying this for 20 years now. And that's big. It's true. In two seconds, it's coming. Yeah. And so sometimes mortality can, for me, be, be that wake-up call of like, okay, I do want to drink this down as fully as possible. And it's not always going to go my way. And it's not always going to be easy, but it's worth living and having that beautiful life that I so deserve, just like you and everybody else does. Right? So- there's that, but I want to take that step back because the idea that we're afraid that it's going to overtake us. I would say that more people are so afraid of their pain overtaking them that they won't give themselves permission to feel it mm. because of that fear. Yeah. So they do their best to avoid it. And anything we, you know, that great saying, anything you resist persists. Right? It's going to come out in some other way. And that can come out through drinking, shopping, dating douchebags. Like it comes out in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so I hear this probably more than anything. If I feel it, I'll drown. If I feel it, it'll take me down. And I have this exercise that I did recently with a group I was speaking with. And it's just basically you imagine putting your hands up and trying to hold back the waves, right? And let's just say, for example, you could hold back the waves, you could hold back the ocean, but it's going to start stacking up. And eventually it's going to hit because no matter how powerful you are, you are not more powerful than the ocean. Yeah. And when it hits, it's going to be more painful, but you have another choice. You can also 
dive through those waves, right? And it's that bravery, just that courage to say, I am not going to polish my pain. And I'm just going to, I am going to be with this experience and trust that it will not overtake me, but I have to be willing to dive through and into those waters. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but even the word overtake made me go, let's take it a step back. Cause I feel like most people are not even going to the starting line because of that fear. Yeah. You know? No, I think that answered that question perfectly. There is such an overcorrection because we're afraid to not feel that pain. And even, you know, being in therapy, there's been times where I'm telling my therapist something that's going on and she has to stop me because she's like, just tell me what's going on. Don't try to go into what you've been doing or how things are okay now. And I noticed that with friends, it's this thing where, yeah, this is going on, but how are you? Or it's like we we try so hard to make sure that we're not just burdensome to mm. ourselves and others. It, there needs to be a solution and we need to gain perspective and realize it, it could be worse. And I don't know, this like I guess you would call it toxic positivity that we have so much in our culture doesn't allow us to actually fully surrender to the pain. Yeah. And I think every single one of us feel that. I remember the first time that I was brave enough when somebody asked me how I was feeling and I said, sad. I just stopped there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody listening could say, that's the big, brave thing that you did. Yeah. That was the very big, brave thing that I did because I was so afraid to even share that because I thought, what what are they going to think about me? And the truth is, is that here's the thing. We're all sad. We're all going through our stuff. We've all got old boo-boos and dramas and traumas. And sometimes when you actually say, well, actually I'm pretty sad. Not only are your people going to show up for you, but maybe it also gives them this opening this opportunity to also share, Hey, I'm sad too. Yeah. Right. And that's how we heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I always try to remind people, it feels really good to be able to help your friends and the people that you love. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. we deprive our community of being able to do that for us because we're too scared of being a burden. But if you think about a time where you were able to just listen to a friend or go over to their house and help them and just let them cry. It feels really good to do that. You're so right about that. It does. Sometimes we just have to, you know, keep reminding us ourselves these things because it's easy to forget. Yeah. I think this is such a great reminder of just, just allowing yourself to, to feel your emotions. And it's, you know, there's the tips that you shared earlier of there's things that you can kind of have out as like a life raft of deep breaths or going for a walk or calling a friend. You know, you're not just setting yourself out with with no tools to be able to pull yourself back out. But we don't need to have a 12 step list of all these things to do every single day and not leave any room for the others, you know, the messiness to come out. Yeah, the messiness and the magic. I mean, 
some of the tips that I give in the book, and a lot of the book is very story-based, but then I, I have a whole section in the back of each chapter that's about caring for that specific emotion, caring for mm. that specific experience. And many of the tips are similar because it's a similar pain. It's a similar process when you're dealing with anger as when you're dealing with fear. So these are universal tools, but we don't always think to apply them in this very scenario. And so I love that we've had this beautiful conversation and and many of the things that we've shared is permission to feel your feelings. Your feelings aren't bad or wrong. There's nothing wrong with you for having them. And there are some simple tools that you can use that will not overwhelm you and overtake your life that can start to put those energy deposits back into your well so that you can keep moving through this experience. And also just give yourself some grace. We put so much freaking pressure on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much pressure. And I think that that pressure is, I'm going to say this now and quote you, that pressure is another distraction. Yeah, that's very true. And I know anytime I catch myself saying, I shouldn't feel this way. I, I should should be over this by now. Those kinds of things. It's usually me trying to avoid something that I need to take a look at. Just the shit yeah. would have cut us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and sharing your story and so much wisdom. Your book, I'm Not a Morning Person, is actually out today. So people can purchase it, I'm sure, wherever books are sold. Yes. And I would love if you could share how people can further connect with you and social media, your website, all of that. And we'll include it in the show notes here. Yeah, absolutely. So chriscar.com with K-R-I-S-C-A-R-R.com. And on Instagram, I am at crazy sexy Chris. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And I hope everyone goes out and gets your book. And, and yeah, it was such an honor to talk to you. Ditto, Kendra. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass, I promise. 